Hello and welcome to Access All Areas with Dermot and Felicity. I'm my way Access, Dermot Deflin, and most me always, it's the chronically fabulous Felicity McKee. This week we're going to be covering a range of issues, such as issues accessing vaccines and the recent uh, well-reported case of Joe Wiley's sister Frances, as well as matchmaking issues and trying to find love while disabled and navigating an ableist world. So now uh, we're just going to go into a little discussion on things that have been happening in the news this week, Felicity. So one of the things that you brought up uh, regarding in the introduction uh, was regarding um, vaccines for certain people. So maybe you'd like to expand on that just for our listeners today. Yeah, so um, accessing vaccines can sometimes feel a bit like a minefield for some people because there are people who are falling through the cracks. And so um, Frances, who is, um, well, she's known now in the media as, you know, Joe Wiley's sister, but Frances is a person who is living in a residential care home. And basically when they were doing the vaccine um, rollout, they kind of overlooked Frances because of Frances's age um, and Frances is has diabetes she also has a learning disability and she's in the priority group six for the COVID vaccine um, and basically she didn't get the vaccine and she then ended up getting COVID and having to be hospitalized and interestingly her sister who is also uh, a carer for her, got the vaccine before her. And um, her sister had gone to the media and said, this seems like it's not correct. Um, my sister needs this vaccine and yet I'm being offered it first. And yet this isn't an uncommon story. There's lots of people who are reporting that this is happening. And you know, nearly six out of every 10 people who have died from COVID in England last year were disabled. And yet there's so many disabled people who are not able to access the vaccine. In fact, um, people who have been diagnosed with a learning disability, the risk of death involving COVID is 3.7 times greater for men and women compared to those um, who don't have a learning disability. Perhaps uh, like an extraordinary when you put it against the rest of the population. And I think it is something that needs to be highlighted, Felicity, because I don't believe, like, unless like, people like you really highlighted in the media recently, but it's not something that most people are aware of, and maybe it's something that should be highlighted more commonly, more regularly, that people understand that, that uh, you know, that people with learning disabilities are at a higher risk and of contracting the virus and been fatal was it yeah and it shouldn't take a celebrity raising this issue for this to happen and i mean there's been lots of reports in the um in the last year about people who were asked to maybe sign a dnr or other things um who happen to have a learning disability and it, it's um it's really problematic and there have been calls from some people that this is a, a form of eugenics and it's interesting because it does all stem back to ableism and, um, you know, the perception of the value of our lives. And, you know, that that is a massive, huge problem. And like we were talking when we were sort of preparing for, for the show, but, you know, you, you've got your first vaccine. I have none. 
Um, and I don't know where I am on the list. I also don't know if um, my carer is going to get the vaccine. I got them, uh, I double checked they were registered and got everything done. And then when I inquired, they went, ah, but they're young. And that doesn't really, that doesn't really make a difference if they bring it back. And then interestingly, um, so Francis Ryan, who's a stable journalist, had done a recent article speaking to people who are falling between the cracks when it comes to being considered, um, you know, high risk or in need of vaccine. So they're, they're classed as high risk kind of by their GPs. They've been asked maybe to shield, but they haven't got a shielding letter. So they're somewhere in between, which is something like that happened to me. I'm somewhere in between. And there's stories across the UK of people who aren't able to access the vaccine, but who, if they got sick, the long-term impact, if they survived COVID, would be quite severe compared potentially to the average person. Um, so for example, if you have chronic fatigue, um, getting post-viral fatigue, if you are recovering from any sort of infection, can be quite severe. And like chronic fatigue as well as a spectrum. So, you know, different people experience it differently. And so, you know, it's quite interesting how it's kind of been overlooked. And again, another interesting one is that, um, according to NHS England, that uh, severe eating disorders or just eating disorders generally, because they could be severe regardless of what weight someone's at, sick is sick enough, uh, doesn't class as a severe mental illness. Funny, um, you were saying that to me before the recording, and I mean, we could actually see each other when we were recording that you could actually see that I was actually surprised by that, because I would have thought that eating disorder would have been, and it should have been part of that. Well, like, the defining it is not, it's just, yeah. to me, it's unbelievable. Anorexia has the highest mortality rate. Um, and it's, eating disorders are, you know, well, there are some eating disorders that you're more likely to survive some forms of cancer than you are to survive the eating disorder. Um, it's, it's interesting sometimes how the decisions are being made. Now, initially, when it came to roll out, Apparently, um, they went sort of by like GP lists. So if you weren't on certain lists with the GP, maybe they hadn't ticked boxes, um, you wouldn't get the shielding letter. And this could be down to the fact that obviously GPs need to meet targets and maybe some people they feel don't need to be on certain lists, perhaps. I don't know. But there are people who should have been on certain lists who were not on certain lists who didn't get letters. And you're only getting letters now. And the other issue that we're seeing is that a lot of the information we see when it's reported by national media is for England, even though England does not reflect Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland. They've all got their own individual things happening. And so well, when you get I, the information, I, just take it with a pinch of salt. Check who they're talking to. Well, I know, like, uh, regarding Shedling Letter, um, I didn't get to anyone, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic. It was only recently there, was it just before Christmas or the New Year? Just can't remember the exact time scale now because, as you know, you thought like having a bit of a blur this last 12 months. But I got my CEV letter, mm -hmm. you know, and some people got their CV letters. So, anybody, I don't know whether that was like something that was happening here in the north of Ireland or if that was a UK wide thing. But basically, with me being CEV, that put me at the clinic, cl clinically extremely vulnerable group. I mean, we've got the 
the clinically vulnerable group. So we went CEV meant that they would sort of put into category three of the vaccination, which had begun on beginning of February, and I got mine a few days after that. So I don't know, was that just something that's happened in, in this region? Uh, with them letters going out across the rest of the UK, for example, in Wales? Yeah, so there have been letters going out elsewhere in the UK because, as I said, you know, the initial letters that went out uh, went out due to sort of computer programs, seeing who was on what list. And if you haven't been put down as a list, so like, for example, with my osteoporosis, it wasn't listed as something that I had according to the GP. And it was when I was in A&E where they thought I'd, I'd completely destroyed my back that um, one of the doctors found the letter from my DEXA scan that highlighted that I had osteoporosis. So I wasn't registered as having this. It wasn't down where it should have been, but it was in my medical notes. So that's kind of like an example of where you can slip through the cracks. And a lot of people have been slipping through the cracks. Um, and I mean, it is quite time consuming for a GP to go through their entire patient list and double check who should be on what. Um, but the thing is, sometimes when you try to contact a GP, especially because we're in a pandemic and people are busy and you try to say, well, am I on this list or am I on that? Um, there have been, again, and I say reports because like this is maybe more anecdotal than anything, but there are examples of people who are struggling to get clear answers from GPs about things. And sometimes GPs don't know the answers themselves because sometimes the messaging from public health hasn't been great. The messaging from the government hasn't always been great. Mm. And it, it is leading to confusion and examples like what happened with Francis there, who we were speaking about earlier, um, not getting vaccinated, even though others in the residential care space that she was in had been vaccinated. Well, that's uh, fair way, and it's something that, like, I mean, like, myself and you, Phyllis, have been talking for a long time, and you should be on that list. The fact that you don't have a letter to say that you should be somewhere on that list, maybe six, and you said you were on but I was advised I didn't get a letter. Oh, you didn't so get a letter? I was advised I did get referred to the local services that were supposed to be supporting people who were shielding, but I didn't get a letter. Um, and now I'm in this kind of limbo where it looks like my carer might get vaccinated before me. But even then, that's not guaranteed because their age is being brought up as a potential um, reason why they, they won't be vaccinated anytime soon. So oh, there you go. Like young people don't get sick apparently. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's confusing and it's especially confusing because like I do sit on some of the committees and things like this that are engaged in discussing, you know, some of the stats about COVID in the local area and some what's happening maybe with the rollout and the trust and things like this. And even though I sit on some of those, I am still struggling to navigate uh to figure it out because I'm somewhere in between. And you know, I would maybe have access to more information or maybe access to better links to find out that information than, than some people and it's it's not easy uh and i i don't know i have no idea when i will get the first vaccine but like literally if they phoned me today and said we have leftover vaccine can you come down i would be there in an instant even if i had to pay like 40 or 50 quid in a taxi i'd pay it well, I know some people, again, it's just anecdotally, but not just in the UK, but in different places, 
have, have been camponite. I said sandwich that um, deity because it's unbelievable that it is. People have been got the letter that comes with vaccines and then they just don't appear. So these people should so be camping there. So rather than the vaccine going to waste, they're going to take their chances and sit outside and hopefully somebody will come out and go, listen, we've got two or three no-shows in the last hour, so who wants one? It is shocking that people aren't showing up to get the vaccine. Um, and then the fact is that they don't take that slot, which means that if there aren't people there, that vaccine can go to waste. I know like there's a case of people that want a vaccine. Now we'll take medical things out of it because that's a whole different ballgame altogether. But but there's people that we've talked about this many times, the, the scaremongers, the the anti vaxxers, the anti maskers and all that there. You don't want the you don't want the ma you don't want the vaccination. Frustrating as it is, you know, fine, don't just stay out of my way. But um if you don't want it and you get the call to get the vaccine, tell them you're not going in because that's an opportunity, that's a slot for somebody else that you're taking and you know you're not going to take it. Mm -hmm. I would say, though, a lot of those who are refusing to take the vaccine, we we do need a certain percentage of the population to get vaccinated. And if enough people choose to not get the vaccine, it will hamper reaching a level of herd immunity or anything like that 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 we need for it to be fully effective um, i think they're talking at least 70 percent or something like that. yeah they, they say 70 percent plus i would much rather have it higher than that. Oh, i think that's what i do but you know but, like an aim for 70 and what on the remaining side i'll be happy but it's it's the fact that like a lot of the misinformation that is going out can be easily disproven and it's no well i mean i've been yeah discussions it's online i've been on discussions online and different news forums you know uh, they're talking about the vaccines and tracks i fact, just one during the week you know somebody had actually put up a post like should you get the vaccine and i said yes of course you should and he said why and i will like kind of give him the idea that you know that'll protect him but not just protect him from the full effect of covid but it'll protect those around him and he mm -hmm. says, well, he doesn't believe it. Where's your proof? So I give him, like, medical stats. I give him government statistics. And I give him news reports. And he goes, well, they're all lies. Where's your real proof? And I said, well, what proof do you think is not going to work? So he gave me a link to YouTube. Uh, and, I, and I just said, well, you know what? I think this is the end of our conversation. <laughs> yeah, YouTube is definitely not where you should be getting your facts from. Um, it's... It is wild when you when you see sort of this thing where people are like, well, I don't believe this information. Or I don't believe that. And, you know, over half a million people are dead in the United States from COVID. You know, we're, this is not small numbers. Um, and, you know, one person is too many. But it's it's just sad because, like, um, there have been stickers and stuff going up locally here around the university where uh, it's th saying things like... Um, it rather be be dead than locked up or something like this or um, and again, other ones that, or I would find that statement itself rather than dead and locked up I find that not just a horrific statement but absolutely smells of ableism too yeah but like there's there's loads of them and there um there's other ones like um 
was it uh, keep the keep the disabled in, let us out, and stuff like that. And there's just stickers going up. But thankfully, I have noticed that some people are taking them down. That's but good they're to see. they're filled with ableism, and they they reek of sort of people who are against lockdown and who are against any of the the measures that are being put in place. And it's um it's it's just disheartening to see that ableism so blatantly out there and such a disregard for the value of our lives. It just it's an unfortunate um collateral side effect of this pandemic that we've suddenly realized just what not all, not all the population, but a sizable majority see yourselves. Yeah. And that's just, it's, it's very disheartening. No, it, but, it definitely is. And I think the thing is, though, the only plus that I would say, and it's, it's a loose plus, is that this ableism has always existed. You and I have seen it before the pandemic. But I think now with the pandemic, the average person who wasn't really aware of what ableism was or what it looked like or didn't really think it existed now can't really hide behind that because it is so blatantly out there in absolutely everything. Well, I do that's the one thing as well I would notice too. It, it's part of the public conversation now where it never was before. And if you see that one good thing and when this is all over, we have to... We have to make sure that that conversation is kept going. Not that mm-hmm. all the virus is over now, the virus is under control, people are out and about again. That means no more ableism. No, no, no. It's still there. We're still going to talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, I think another thing, because like I'm running for education officer in the student union, um, I may or may not uh-huh. get, there are eight people in my category, which is impressive for a student union race. But, um, I'm hoping to maybe bring in training to deal with ableism, homophobia, transphobia, racism, things like that. But also the university has shown that it can make um, education and courses accessible. And I want them to keep doing that going forward. Uh, I don't want that to stop just because, you know, lockdown ends. And so that that's really important to me. And Funny I'm hoping if elected, I can... I can really reinforce this within the university and to make the university a more accessible and, and welcoming place. Um, well, unfortunately, Felicity, I'm not a student and I'm not a Swansea, but, but if I was, you've certainly got my vote. Thank you. Um, we'll, we'll see, because like there is hostings and there's everything else. Um, but, you know, so long as, even if I don't get in, so long as whoever does get in, but hopefully, like I would like it to be me, but whoever gets in, um, my hope is that, you know, they look at what's happening now and they really take it forward and ensure that the university is held to account and that the university really does engage with students in making these decisions. Um, because, you know, things like the safety net and other issues, they're important and we need to ensure that any advances made during lockdown for students continue and are stepping stones that we can grow from. But um, only time will tell. Well, talking about time, I think we've come to the end of our discussion on things that have been happening in the news regarding Francis and the vaccines and, and of course, our favourite slash on 
hateful topic, ableism. But um, if anybody would like to make me comment, you know, on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you may find the podcast being posted, just examples of like what issues you're having as a disabled person or as a carer getting access to the vaccines or what examples of ableism you have found that's been brought up with the, from the pandemic and stuff like that there, that we would really, really love to hear them and share them with, share them with our audience because... <laughs> You know, it's, it's all well and good myself and Felicity talking here, but we want to hear your views as well. We want to share them because, you know, we're just two people talking about what we feel is right and what we feel needs to be done. But we we, we do understand, we appreciate there's a, there's a wide topic of opinions and discussions out there, and we, we do want to hear them all. I know Felicity is eager to hear everything as well, you know, especially now when she's running for elected government. <laughs> within the university, you know, because all this sort of helps and, you know, if we can get a good conversation going, it will help inform the, the wider non-disabled population as well, just exactly what is happening across the UK and within all the different regions. So it is important, uh, not just for our podcast, but for the wider good, to hear your opinions. Mm-hmm. But but for now, we're going to take a little break. So uh, I'm going to see if I can make myself a nice cup of tea and... I believe Felicity there might have some hot chocolate she's going to put on. So we will see you shortly after this little break. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that uh, hot chocolate, Felicity. Oh, definitely. I, I, I love a good hot beverage when we're doing these podcasts. I think it really helps, you know, with the conversation flow. And I hope you've got plenty of marshmallows in it. Ah, uh, unfortunately, alas, not. But that is food for thought for next time. <laughs> um, now we're going to be starting our main topic of conversation uh, for this week's podcast regarding uh, matchmakers and finding love as a disabled person. Now, I discovered a tweet live on Twitter on the 10th of February, so for two weeks ago now, by Lucy Weber. Now, Lucy Weber is a journalist and writer for the BBC Politics and previously worked on BBC Newsline and BBC Parliament, as well as the opinion part of the Guardian newspaper. Now, Lucy, like myself, she had joined a website, a matchmaker's website, because uh, she was looking for it, but she found that... Uh, She's getting a lot of ableism from it. Uh, she'd actually applied, you know, to meet somebody to see see what's out there because um, I don't know about yourself, but I know you you have a partner now and you're all loved up and happy and all that there, but um, I'm sure you probably find it difficult to start to actually meet somebody because the internal ableism there is that they can't see past. A lot of people can't see past the disability, and I think in some cases... Like, I, I have a Twitter account, or not a Twitter account. I recently started a new uh, uh, Tinder account, because uh, I had one previously, and it just was a waste of time, because um, women thought I was after one thing, not that thing, but another thing, which I will mention now, that I had to put it into my bio on my Tinder account. I'm looking for a relationship, not a care. Yeah. And I think that that's what a lot of people, non-disabled people think that we're looking for. Yes, we might need a bit of help doing this and that. 
But we're not looking for a care. We're looking for somebody to maybe not share a life with, but potentially, hopefully, but to, to share, share our time with them anyway. You know, as, as a, in a relationship or in a partnership or whatever it may be, or whatever we want to label it up. And unfortunately, some people think that they're going to spend all the time looking after it and being a mother or being a father or being a, being a guardian to us and not. That's not what we're looking for. And I know it's not what you're looking for either, Felicity. Yeah. And like, you know, we have spoken on this issue before because like Dr. Phil had an episode where he said that 100 out of 100 relationships that involve caregiving fail, which, you know, we know is not true. And there are plenty of examples of why this is not true. And there are um, lots of um, couples who use the term interabled, which is something that you know some people use and some people don't like the term but there are couples out there who use the term to describe their relationship because it does involve you know um an element perhaps of caregiving but it's so small because it's a relationship and they love each other and you know that was one of my main things in that when you're looking for a relationship and you have health issues it does feel like you're bringing baggage but everybody has baggage when they come to a relationship. Like yeah. maybe maybe you date someone who doesn't seem to understand that socks do not live on the floor. You know, that could be a form of baggage. You know, it, it has differences or they have maybe different quirks where like they're really I, bad at washing the dishes. I don't know. I just want to wear something, Felicity. Do socks not belong on the floor? No, socks definitely do not belong on the floor. Okay, well, that's definitely new to me. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm still single. Oh, but, um, but there is that concern. And then also, you know, you'll get these comments from people like, oh, well, you're too pretty to be disabled. Or, um, or where if you are in a relationship, instead of just sort of seeing as a relationship, they kind of feel like the person you're with is some sort of angel for being in oh, a relationship yeah, with you. I, I've been not not was in a relationship, but been out, been out with him and been told that they're absolute. They've used the word angel before, an absolute saints, and aren't they good people for taking me out of the hospital? And I'm like, well, I'm not in a hospital. <laughs> but even if I was, it still doesn't make them great people because we're friends. Yeah, it's it's a huge issue, especially when it comes to like dating, and it it can be a complete minefield but like the issue that came up recently on on twitter is not one that is unheard of or rare it's really quite common online and you know it was talked about recently on the last leg and you know you've had experiences of this and yeah. i think what that tweet really exposed is just how widespread this issue is no what i'll do is i'll read out the tweet for you Basically, uh, what Lucy had posted was a screenshot of the email that she got back from match, from a matchmaker's website in England, which is basically an agency. You know, when you, when you have a no luck in person, you have a no luck on sites like uh, Tinder and Bumble and all these other ones that I can't remember the half of them, that you think, well, you know, these things are working. You'll go to what is a professional agency and, you know, you, you get the point where you'll give them good money to find somebody that's compatible for you. And Lucy had put this up because she had recently applied for it. It's uh, Dear Lucy, 
Thank you for giving us more information about yourself. Matchmaker Dating is not a specialist dating agency, and our experience of disabled people is limited. So straight away, uh, being disabled is classified as a specialist. So that's news to me, Felicity. And then they went on to say that we provide our services to clients living with various disabilities and feel that it's only right to be transparent with you before offering membership. Regrettably, others have not always been open to dating someone living with your disability and may decline to go forward with a match when offered. So we have found achieving good outcomes for full-time wheelchair users, clients, can be quite challenging. You should consider this before looking to take out membership offers. As we get more inquiries from disabled, we are considering developing a specialist brand for disabled daters. So there you go. If more disabled people join, um, they'll set up a special area that we, we can all chat and meet up together rather than sort of be the most regular population. Yeah. She also it, went on an email to say that if you do not proceed with the membership at this time, we would like to, to take your, retain your information so that we can approach you with good outcome for, we can approach you, sorry, at a later date in the future. We should introduce a new matchmaking service for disabled that might be suitable for you. If you would like to welcome this further chat, Lucy, please let them know. So basically what they were saying is that you're a wheelchair user, you're disabled, we can't find anybody for you, but let us keep your details so that we can maybe set up a, a dating agency for disabled people and we'll find you somewhere there because let's face it, disabled people, we're never going to match you with the non-disabled, so we'll, we'll get as many as you, we, as you can on our database and we'll pay it all up together. Now, to me, I just find this extremely angry extremely hurtful and it just felt me felt more segregated from society once again I've been told that you know disabled people aren't good enough to interact and be part of quote-unquote normal society yeah and like i think it's reflective of uh, an issue that we see a lot when we look at tv shows such as the undateables which is not a great name for a show when it involves disabled people out there you know looking for love because a lot of the people on the show are disabled and sometimes in those shows they pair disabled people up with disabled people um as if you know no non-disabled person would want to date them and it's it it's just reflective of this kind of internalized ableism that we see in that email response that lucy got but also that we see sort of in the wider media when we're watching you know TV shows because you know a lot of these dating shows um, will ask questions like would you feel comfortable dating a disabled person and you know that is at its core a question that is rooted in ableism. Well, I'm familiar with that program The Undateables it's not one that I would watch because I, I do find it quite uh, as she stated clearly quite offensive and mainly down to the name and the parent disabled person, disabled person. And you, you do get the, the odd occurrence where maybe they will uh, mismatch, for want of a better expression, enter ableism and uh, enter relationships and stuff like that. But 
on the power, not really. But I do discuss, I do hear people talking that the name is very suitable because what is shown is in the opening graphic that it undateables and then Cuba comes in and fires an arrow through the arm and it just becomes dateables. And I'm like, no, that's really not what it's about. Yes, they might have a little fancy graphic to clear themselves or to make it look cute. But the fact that it's branded as undateables and disabled people are undateable. And that's what it is. Yeah. Now, as I said earlier, that I had sent an email off as well to um, to a dating agency as well here in uh, the North of Ireland, Belfast. And this was, I got an email back from them in January 2019. So I'm going to read out what they've said to me. And it, it's not dissimilar to what Lucy has got as well. And Lucy's email tweet basically brought this memory that I put away back up again. So I'm, I'm still quite vulnerable and angry over it and I've been quite vocal about it online for the last two weeks to the point that I think people are fed up looking under me. But uh, here it is. Good morning, Dermot. I hope you're well. Thank you for completing the application questionnaire for membership of our matchmaking service. At matchmakers, we can only facilitate a match with two people whose profiles and desire criteria are similarly similar um, compatible. As you say in your application from your dating history has been quite limited because of your disability. And this is basically true ableism. Most people are sort of standoffish. We did previously try to match a guy who used a wheelchair and we couldn't find anybody for him. So that's one guy. We therefore think do not believe in taking money of anyone that feels we do not have a reasonable chance of finding a match. Open brackets, we all, this also applies to able-bodied people too, close brackets. Now however, they're basing this on the criteria that they couldn't match one guy in a wheelchair. So I, I, I don't know why they think that they can't match me because they couldn't match one guy. Now they also said to me as well, which is a little different than what uh, Lucy got, have you ever heard of meetup groups? If you Google meetup groups in Northern Ireland, you will find groups of like-minded people who meet together with shared interests. Things like book clubs, theatre groups, cinemas, and coffee groups. It's a way to get out there and about and meet people you are interested in and also interested in you. It can increase your chances of meeting someone who gets to know you as a person and can look beyond your disability. You look could also beyond. set up a meetup group yourself, as I am sure there are many people that themselves in a similar situation. I'm sorry we cannot help you at this time, but keep in mind, should we come across we should come across potential match in the future. So basically what they told me there was as a summary of that email, one guy in a wheelchair couldn't find a match, therefore will not find you a match. But you know what you can do? You can go to a coffee shop, you can go to a book club, you might meet somewhere there. And if you can't, well set up your own group and meet somebody. So that just, I don't know, Felicity, <coughs> you can probably find my voice getting a bit angry again. But what's your reaction to that? It's the look beyond your disability part, because like being disabled is a part of me. So when they say look beyond, they're suggesting that it's an undesirable quality. That's what they're saying. That's yeah. at its core. Um, 
it's also very belittling and patronizing and it's just there's layers to that like a shrek says you know like an onion it's got layers that has layers and none of them are good um i think they they've been very they've been thoughtful in their email in that they've added the caveat that they do this for non-disabled people as well and i think that's because they are afraid of backlash when they sent that email they were afraid because they knew what they were doing was wrong yeah well that's definitely the feeling they got and as i say this is the go for two years ago and it's still very well on me obviously particularly now when it's been brought back up on social media by lucy uh, and, I, and I even, as I said earlier, I've been talking quite openly about it in different places. And in fact, one place I did talk about it was on the Belfast Telegraph Facebook page. And it was something I went to the media about because I don't know people think that uh, I like to be in the newspapers and TV all the time. But that's not really the case. And, and this isn't something that I would want to go to the papers about because... It's a bit personal for me at the same time, but I don't mind talking about it within my own sort of bubble of my own, under my own narrative. Mm-hmm. But I did speak about it in the Belfast Telegraph Facebook page, and most people were quite sympathetic. You know, you had the whole thing, well, if you live near me, yeah, and I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then there was one guy came back to me and said, well, you know, it's very good they didn't take your money, and that's very decent of them. See, because this is the thing, people miss the point. And like the other issue when you're when you're dating, so you're dealing with people who, especially with matchmakers, who think that you're, to quote that program, undateable or yeah. it's impossible to do a match. But when you are disabled and you are trying to find, you know, love, you can also come across the people who are obsessed with disability and fetishize it. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I, I have come across that myself, not in recent years, but there have been whenever I was at university and college and different places. And, you know, I'll be upfront, it, it was not my scene. So I kind of smiled, nodded, and went my own way because I, I don't want to be somebody's fatty. I don't want to be somebody's kink, you know, because yeah, you, you I, like, I don't get me wrong, I don't believe that I'm God's gift or anything smart like that. But I do believe them I'm better than that. Now, if that's somebody, if somebody does believe that and does want that and instead of a relationship, that, that's great and there's no judgment here and stuff like that. But for me, myself, that's not what I want, you know, because I, I want somebody that uh, knows who I am, not so they can go away and tell their friends, well, I've done this. Yeah, because I think, you know, being disabled, it is a part of, of who we are. But at the same time, if you are kind of reduced by a potential love interest to solely being a disabled person, um, they're missing out on the rest of like who you are and, and everything else. But it's especially problematic because sometimes when you are, you know, testing out the dating pool, you will come across those people who that's what that what that's what attracts them but it attracts them for like all the wrong reasons they're not attracted to you or you as a person they're attracted to just a part of who you are um and i don't know there's just like there when i say like sometimes dating as a disabled person can be a minefield it can be because you're dealing with everyday ableism and then you're dealing with being rejected or you're be dealing with being fetishized and it's sometimes hard to find that middle ground 
No, well, I, well, I find it. I mean, I would ask, I won't say we ask it out a lot of women, but I, I, I do, like I do ask out and I do get rejected 98% of the time. <laughs> but that you can take, I mean, not just part and parcel of life, you know, but you do, you do tend to recognize the genuine rejections and the, the horrified, my God, so my disabled ask me out kind of rejections. So, mm. so the genuine rejections, I mean, that's grand. The uh, disability rejections, well, I'm glad I can see that now. Hurts, but you move on. But the thing about the matchmakers, they've basically been up front and saying, you're disabled, you're never going to find anybody. No point wasting your time. No point even wasting our time. And don't waste your money on us. You know, why don't you go out and do something else? And I think the problem here is their job is matchmaking. That's literally their job. And if they cannot find, if they claim that it's too difficult to match people together, then they're clearly terrible matchmakers. That's it. I mean, like, I don't like Fluffy, you're very lucky that you've got a good, strong partnership there, and that's great. But I'm sure you probably find difficulties yourself whenever you were single. Well, like, I... I, I identify as asexual, so I wasn't really seeking out a relationship. And I think this is another other issue. Generally, when we see disabled people, a lot of people assume that disabled people are asexual and have no interest in anything. I unfortunately meet the stereotype. <laughs> um, but um, please forgive me because I, I didn't relate that how you identified, but no, you know. But, uh, but you know, we um, is it when it comes to sort of the relationship, we kind of experienced like periods of ill health and illness so we've kind of done you know when people say in sickness and in health we've done all the sickness and it's not like it came as a surprise um but you know uh they've been a friend first and you know a partner second and i think that's what really sort of helped in the long run but you know that doesn't always happen for people and i just got very very lucky um but yeah, literally, um, we, we've been through um, resus and waking up in resus. And um, I, I joke that, you know, we we sort of went flying into a relationship quite quickly because they couldn't get into resus because they weren't family. So I said that they were um, my partner to get them in. And uh, that's kind of the last thing I, I remember before I woke up in the ward with the defibrillator pads attached. Um so it took dying to get there, but we got there. <laughs> well, I must try that one in the future and see where that gets me. <laughs> yeah, was it? Who knew? Hospital settings, very romantic. <laughs> um, I'm going to play a little clip now from uh, the last leg, uh, just a little bit um, from it regarding Lucy Weber, um, the matchmaker email that she got. So this was recorded. This was uh, spoke about on the last leg. Just. A short while ago. Well, it's obviously not. I mean, the thing with me when I was when I was online dating, I never kind yeah. of disclosed my disability. I wanted to keep it as a bit of a surprise. <laughs> so, but when we met up, I'd drop hints. Sure, you know, I'd say to him, "How do you feel about parking closer to places? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, do, you, do you like cutting up other people's food? <laughs> How much are you into high fives? That sort of thing." I'd lay the groundwork. <laughs> but look, it's, I could I could joke about it now. 
But I, I can tell you now that basically what the, what the company did there, no matter what their intentions were in the first place, is what they did there was they told someone that people might not, somebody might not want them. They shouldn't bother because somebody might not want them because of what they look like, because of who they are. Yeah. Essentially, and believe me, mate, when I, when I was on online dating, I, I couldn't have thought, if I'd have received an email like that, it would have, it would have devastated me, mate. Because I can tell you now, I, I remember, I remember being self-conscious of my hands. I remember not being too scared to tell people about my leg, and you know hiding it and stuff like that. You don't need someone else to tell you the thing that you're already self-conscious of and the thing that you're most worried about somebody not wanting you for. You couldn't, you don't, it, it wasn't, it's not for them to say that. And you kind of, you look at it and, you know, that's kind of saying the disabled only dating service and stuff like that. You kind of stick to your own kind. You couldn't say that to one another. And also any other physical appearance. You wouldn't turn around to like people with, with Big noses, all due respect to like people with big noses, and say, look, I'll be honest with you, the, the people with the big ooters, they've struggled on it. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, maybe you need to, you know, we, we've, got, we've got a Cyril Sneer dating app for you to, to crack on with. And it is like, I just, I, I just, it, it made me so desperately sad, and I was so desperately sad for, for, the, for the lady involved, because let's be honest, the dating game, uh, it's a struggle for anyone, whether they're like able-bodied or not. I hear able-bodied friends struggling with it, and I just, I look at it and I just think, you know, the kind of the company involved, they said, oh, well, it's a society problem. Yeah. And I get it. And I get they were, you know, they were saying we might not try and, we didn't want to take money and kind of give a false um, impression and stuff like that. And they would, you know, they recognise it's a society problem. Maybe people are a bit shallow. But if you want to change the problem, don't perpetuate it more. And it's up to us. It's up to us whether we want to be with, like, you know, and it's up to other people. We all try to find somebody who's going to love us for, like, who we are. And yeah. if there's anybody on disabled uh, or anybody on a, a date and something they do see a disabled person, you shouldn't like dismiss them, like just out just out of hand for want of a better phrase. Because <laughs> I tell you what, when we say you complete me, we mean it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, Alex quite summed it up quite well because, like, I certainly felt whenever I got that response, and I'm sure Lucy felt the same that. Um, they were highlighting the insecurities that I might have in myself on some level. So when you have these embedded secret insecurities and then you have somebody else coming in saying, well, you know what, we don't want you in our sight because we believe what you believe about yourself and those things that you try to tell yourself don't exist, even though you feel them, they do exist. And that's how it, it made me feel when I got that. You know, I'm not worthy of anybody. Yeah, and I think you know what the last leg and what this tweet and like what your experience do show is is unfortunately a common. But like Alex really hits the nail on the head there in the fact that these companies are perpetuating it. So they're like, oh, it's a societal problem. Well, that's them washing their hands of it because they are in a position to help change that, and they're choosing not to. That's definitely because to me that was my well, I wouldn't want to say last option, but I was think. I always thought to myself, I'll, I'll meet somebody the old-fashioned way in person. Didn't work out. Then we apps like Tinder and and uh, Bumblebee, not Bumblebee, Bumble, and uh, eHarmony. You know, I can't remember half of them, but I say I've been on pretty much all of them at one stage in my life. As I say, I'm, I'm Tinder now at the moment with my new fancy bio, <laughs> but not wanting to care. But um, I just, this was like the, the last option about spending good money 
to meet somebody. And then for them to tell you, no, you're never going to meet anybody because you are who you are. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's like a dagger. And yeah. I don't, and I'm not saying that from a man point of view that I'm great. I deserve to find love because I am an amazing person. Well, everyone deserves to find love, you know. But um, but I'm not coming from that point of view. Like you, know, I deserve it because I'm I'm me and I'm great. It's not like that. But I do think I deserve to meet somebody, and I do think I don't deserve to be turned down ninety eight percent of the time mm-hmm. because of what they perceived I may be or what they think I am. Yes, I'm disabled. It's a part of who I am. It's a part of me that I am very proud to be. But it's it's a small jigsaw of the way they picture that does me. A very important piece of jigsaw. And most people might be shocked when I say this. It's a part of the jigsaw that I wouldn't want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Because it defines who I am. It made me who I am. You know, every experience that I've had has made me who I am. And I wouldn't have had these experiences if I wasn't disabled. Yeah. So if I wasn't disabled, I would be a totally different person. And I don't even know if I'd like that person. Who knows? He might be a great stand-up guy, married with six children. But at the same time, he could also be an asshole. And I don't think I'm an asshole now. And I'm happy with that. Yeah, and maybe hopefully the conversations that are being had around this topic now will maybe make some of these matchmaking companies think twice and, you know, really consider the fact that they are perpetuating ableism. And in doing so, they're actually creating the problem that they're complaining about. But I think that really covers everything we want to talk about in the main topic today. But again, like we said earlier, if you are disabled and looking to meet that special someone, you know, tell us about your experience on Twitter and Facebook and wherever you find the podcast. You know, like, do you find the same difficulties that myself and Lucia haven? Or have you met that special someone, that perfect someone like Felicity has here as well? Now, we want to hear it all. Like, have you joined a, a dating agency like Matchmakers? You know, what was their response to you because you were disabled? Did they turn you away at the first option? Or did they actually find you someone? Are you on Tinder? Are you on Bumble? Are you on all these different apps? Um, what, how often do you match with somebody on that? Um, how do you perceive your disability? And even in the real world, when you're in the pub, you know, we want to we want to hear all your experiences because we do think it's important to get that conversation out there, let people know that just just what's happening in the dating world. So, anything you want to add to that before we go for that second cup of tea and second hot chocolate i think people just need to know that you know they are worthy and valid of love and they deserve to find love and society is unfortunately fundamentally ableist but you know there is there is someone out there um but sometimes it's a fight because ableism is unfortunately so entrenched in society but just you know there is someone Somewhere. And you will find them. I'll still keep looking, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, maybe I'll go for the swan so you can take me around the pubs and let me see what's over in Wales. I was it you might find a nice wee Welsh girl over here. 
Anyway, we're going to take a little short break and we'll be back just to chat about what's been happening in our life over the last, well, I was going to say last week, but we haven't been on for the last three or four weeks. So I'm sure we'll have something to talk about that doesn't broken lifts. So we will see you after this little break. And welcome back. Now we're just going to spend a few moments just talking about what's been going on in each other's lives. So Felicity, I know you've been sort of in and out of hospital over the last few weeks, perhaps more than you would have been maybe normally. So maybe just let us know how things are going for you. Yeah, so just um, with COVID and things like this, it means it's been taking longer to get my infusions. And so I'm kind of stuck in a cycle where because it's taken so long to get one infusion, it means then I need a second. And so I'm going back in next week for my fourth in just over, well, hang on. It was technically three weeks. It took a week to get the first infusion. But if we're going from when the first infusion happened, it's been two and a half weeks and I'm about to go in for my fourth. Um, That's a lot of going. Well, it is, because sometimes it's like two infusions in a day. So when I say fourth, I mean fourth visit, not necessarily fourth infusion, but um, it's it's a lot. Although, interestingly, because my veins are so bad, um, when the cannula had popped and my arm was actually swelling, I initially just thought it was the unpleasant feeling I get when I'm having an infusion. And so I sort of mentioned it just in passing to the nurse to go, this is probably going to be a slightly more difficult one for me to tolerate because, you know, the pain is quite something this time. And they went, oh, no, your cannula's popped, your arm is swelling. So, um, well, funny enough, I'm back on my bum in the three weeks myself. Yeah. After being, well, I took a, for a month off because I was feeling unwell and I didn't want reactions because of, you know, of the current climate. But before that, I was off, as you know, for eight months because of COVID restrictions. And I know you were sort of saying you've got bad veins, and now I, my veins were never too bad beforehand, but they were definitely getting a bit tired after mm-hmm. four years. And funny now, the nurses over the last two weeks have saying that my veins have really popped up again, and they're actually going on first temp now, painless. And like, you know, from our conversation online before that, I was always complaining, taking three, three goals and a torch like hell. Yeah. Just to show you, like, the because of that eight, eight month gap, it sort of gave me, give my veins sort of time to relax, time to sort of heal while I'm getting poked every Friday in the same spot all the time. Because I only have I had one vein that would, would allow itself to be picked. <laughs> yeah, I um, I try to move mine around. So like if you were, well, you, won't, you won't be able to see because we're filming this on Zoom, but um. If you were to be able to sort of see, I have like pinpricks where they've gone all over the place. And I have had cannulas in very strange locations, um, some of which are very unpleasant. But um, well, I, know one thing I, I they do move did, around. I know one thing they did, try to, they did try to, or they did, after four years before the break, like my brain was trying to get a bit tired. Like and one place that they wanted to go into was my forehead. But at the point I got a very... We can't see it really with us light. Yeah. Or philosophy can't see it with us light. We have to, you can't see it because there's no video. But I've got a very prominent vein in my I, forehead. Mm, mm, no, I'm not feeling the forehead one. I can tell you now, I've had I've had it in my foot. And uh, I feel like the forehead would be as bad as the foot. 
I did have someone try to put one into my neck at one point as well. No explanation. I was in the hospital and like, I don't even think they'd even tried any of the usual sites, but he was like, yep, your neck. And I was like, I feel like my neck has important things in it. I was like, I really don't want one in my neck. Um, no, I wouldn't be keen on that neck, but I had it in my foot like years and years ago when I was in the hospital. Awful. I, well, I wasn't keen on it, but it wasn't the worst one. Wasn't oh no, it's so stingy. It's so stingy. No, no, if they come at you for your foot, your foot should be your absolutely last resource. There are so many nerves and things in your foot. Do not go for your foot. But no, the forehead, I just, I was adamant. Just keep trying to dead vein. I'm not going on my forehead. Had, I've never had someone suggest the forehead. That seems like such a strange But I think that for me, because I, I do have a very prominent vein going down there. I don't think they would offer it to anybody. But I mean, it just, uh, you might not see it because of the light. This is really yeah. But uh, if you saw me angry, you know, it's like the Hulk, this big Hulky vein popping out. It's like, I, it seems so strange because, like, I don't know why they go for the same vein over and over again because I've been getting infusions and blood and stuff like this for over 10 years. And I, I have a couple of veins that have been repeatedly used by A&E staff to the extent that they do not take cannulas anymore. They're described as, like, brick walls. They'll give blood, but they... They can't take anything, you know, larger than that. And so, like, I do try to rotate the veins that are in use. So, like, I would recommend rotating your veins and just, like, hands are awful for getting cannulas in. I hate them. But, like, I will accept, you know, cannulas in the hand to give the other ones a break. I've had them sort of, like, do you know, sort of under your elbow, just sort of, if you were to put your um, arms down on a table, the bit that rests on the table, I've had cannulas there, which when you're in oh, hospital, no, you knock on everything. I knock everything down because there's a cannula suddenly where I didn't think there should be. Um, it's a difficult spot as well because your radius and ulna will overlap. So as you move your arm, it can sometimes sort of shift a wee bit. But like, yeah, I do try to rotate them because my veins have got so narrow and so difficult difficult at times um I have one where they've said to me they think maybe like it's developed I, I don't know like if they're sort of talking more colloquially or just generalizing but um it's a very nervy place now to get bloods done where it never used to be and they sort of they sort of suggested that maybe there were nerves there where there hadn't been or something before like it's got its own self-defense system which like if I was that vein I would probably have invested in as well because I'm getting poked every other week well twice a week um so i don't know it's it's kind of fascinating when you think about it but just i would i would quite like to have a long line or something like that but at the same time there is the infection risk and then also there's the fact that if a staff member isn't trained in how to use it they can't use it anyway so you're still going to get poked with a needle well i would be but way we getting in because like i mean those things only five in the body it's not right um, so you, you can get like pick lines, long lines, different things. The risk is if you get an infection there, it can go to your heart. Um, yeah, but I know like, uh, here, the treatment I get, we didn't have that option. I mean, you could have requested it, no bother, but I know in England, anyway, that, that was one option you could get that line in. And some people didn't, some people didn't. I myself would be a bit worried, namely if you say the infection. But then there's other cases where maybe if you're in an accident and you need quick access to revive you or whatever, like, I mean, they can't go on that because you've taken, that, that line has been taken. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, uh, your body only has about five of them, if I'm right. So you really are loving your, your options. And plus, I just, I'm, I'm a bit squeamish anyway, and I don't like the idea of something from block being permanently in me, even though I'm sure it's probably tiny and invisible. But in my head, it's just like, no, I don't want it. <laughs> See, I think for me, because I'm in so often, if I could be confident that if I showed up at A&E or I showed up at like the acute GP unit or I showed up somewhere that there would be a staff member who would be trained to use it, I would consider it, I think, because there are times where because my veins have been so well used if by healthcare professionals that, you know, I've had to sit there and think, do I want, like the infusion I need will probably and most likely definitely ensure that I stay alive but you have that moment where you're like this is going to be so painful and so unpleasant that you're like do I take the risk do I do I sit there and go you know what I'll I'll, I'll take the chance about the infusion and you know I think when you reach a point where the 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 pain sometimes of getting the cannula in and sometimes the pain of the infusion because I get told like things like well potassium stings and like I have over 10 years of sometimes getting potassium four times a week, I can tell you now it didn't sting. And it, it's only recently that it's become an issue and I've had to spend longer hours getting the infusion mm. run over because my veins can't handle it. Um, but, you know, like, as I said, it was so unpleasant that I sort of was all like, this, this is kind of difficult to the nurse because I'm used to it being sometimes very difficult to tolerate but because I don't want to get poked again and have people basically hunting a needle, I sit there and go, you know what? It's really unpleasant. My arm feels like it's on fire, but this is, do you know like that wee meme where they're like, this is fine and the house is on fire? That's yeah. me. Like, this is fine. It's only six hours. I can withstand. Well, that definitely sounds like it's been a bit of an event for a few weeks for you. Yeah, you know, well, medical reasons. Uh, I suppose the only thing I can say that... Uh, Today is the uh, 28th of February, mm-hmm. which means that it is International Rare Disease Day, uh, which falls on the last day of February every year. And the reason that is because every four years it falls on the 29th of February, which is a leap day, which is one of those rare days in the year. So why not give that day over to International Rare Disease Day? Now, I myself, I have a rare disease called eucopolysaccharides Marcus disease. And as I like to tell people, like here in Ireland, like one in nine people have a rare disease. So having a rare disease isn't that rare after all. So I, that's one way I look at it. And it's a good way of just reminding people just about, about your disability and about your rare disease and just how how it's a part of your life. It's the same as like any disability. It's a part of your life, it's a part of who you are, and, you know, it's, and it's one part of me that, that I actually enjoy having. I don't enjoy the pain side of it, but everything else, yeah, I like it. <laughs> you know, there's over 6,000 conditions, um, apparently, that are considered rare conditions, and there's one in 17 people in the UK who have a rare condition. So, like, it's not, like, it's uncommon, but it's it's not, you know, you, you probably know someone who has a rare condition. Oh, well, lucky in Ireland, I see it's one in nine, so there's obviously one or two people in your family. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm that person in my family. 
So that's really really my update for the news today. So uh, but just before we go away, um there was one other bit of personal news this week. And I'd just like to say uh very happy birthday yesterday to our goal Felicity and I promised I would do this in the podcast but she didn't believe me but happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear Felicity happy birthday to you Happy you put me under pressure. Now I'll have to sing for your birthday, and I have no singing voice. Well, couldn't be any worse than mine. Uh, no, thank you. Is it? It's um, yeah. I have uh, officially hit the big three zero, which is kind of daunting. But I'm there now, and you know, I've reached the other side, and it's the same as it was yesterday. So, like, it's not that daunting. Although it is, but it is. Think, think, you're there. talking about the daunting feeling of turning thirty. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm in my 40s, so I'm not going to listen to any of that cough. <laughs> I think it's more like I. it did occur to me when I was, um, you know, when I was turning uh, 30 that, you know, I've spent most of my, well, I've spent all of my 20s unwell. And I've also spent, um, you know, uh, part of my teens unwell. And now I'm spending my 30s unwell, which is technically like a, it's over 10 years, but it's if you were to like count decades, I've spent part of a decade of my life unwell, another decade, and I'm going to a new decade. And it was just a bit, bit daunting when you think about it because you start adding up the years and looking back. But um, no, no, I know what you mean because I was always quite healthy in my teens and twenties. You know, to a point in a way, if you can yeah. be. It's when I had my thirties. I don't know the psychological thing, but a whole lot of things. My health just went. Like I ended up in. Uh, a whole lot of serious medical problems and stuff. So not to scare you about being your 30s. I'm just talking about my 30s, of course. But uh, but I but I started to feel good towards the end of it. Found a different thing, such as my uh, diet and promising and getting a bit more exercise and stuff like that. So that helped. So I was quite happy going into my, well, I wouldn't say I was happy because my 40s. quite hated the idea of turning 40. But once I got there, gone. And I thought, you know what, this is going to be great. I'm in my 40s now. I'm feeling healthy. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling positive. I'm ready to take on the world and do what I want now and make a change. And then the whole planet went under lockdown. So <laughs> we'll see what happens when I get out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um it's been interesting because like this is a birthday in lockdown. So I got some socially distanced cupcakes dropped off by a friend um outside and haven't really done anything that special for it although I tend not to do anything too special on my birthday because like I have a history of either ending up in hospital on my birthday or all sorts happening so like I tend to stay inside like call me superstitious but I feel like it can't happen if I if I stay in a nice safe space where I know where everything you know is and what to expect um but yeah I had like the day before my birthday I got the phone call to say that I'm probably going back to the hospital so like I'm not saying there's a coincidence there but just you know Around my birthday, history of not great things happening around my birthday. Perhaps, perhaps, maybe there's more to it. Um, well, like an answer, to <laughs> you do not look a day over 29. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I think that's really everything on our podcast today. So I suppose um, what we can maybe take away as feedback for our listeners. Um, I think for me, because with matchmakers and stuff like that, there, I can say that. Uh, 
to anybody that maybe come across me on dating websites or because I'm among quite a few of them, sadly. <laughs> or if you see me out and about, uh, maybe just, you know, over, have a chat, get to know the real me, don't be scared of, you know, about my disability because, number one, yes, I'm disabled. Number two, my disability is everything about me. Number three, I'm quite happy with being disabled. And number four, being disabled isn't a hurdle. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that, out of M4 points, that is the most important thing to do. Disability isn't a hurdle. And I'm looking for a relationship, not a care. Yeah. And I can say that probably the case for 98, 99, quite possibly 100% of disabled people were looking for a relationship or not looking for a care. Felicity, what would you like our listeners to take away this week? Um, so I think I would say that they do say not to contact your GP necessarily, but if you are unsure and you just want maybe some reassurance about where you are on the um, the vaccine list, maybe do link in with your GP because if you feel like you're falling between categories or that you should have got the vaccine and you haven't, some peace of mind can be really helpful. Um, and also make sure that, you know, if you have a carer that they are registered and they're on the GP's carers list. Um, because that can definitely help with making sure that they get vaccinated as well. Well, thank you, Felicity, and thank you to our listeners. Now, I would say we'll we'll see you next week, but as I say, that doesn't quite always the case due to medical reasons, um, fatigue reasons, um, personal reasons, so we will see you when we see you. Mm -hmm. That could be next week, or it could be next month. But until then, you'll always find us on Facebook, you will always find us on Twitter. So please get in touch, share us your thoughts, share us what you'd like us to talk about, and we will start that conversation. And I know soon that we are going to be starting a series of conversations with the Atypical University and some of the art projects. So that's one thing that we will be recording, hopefully in March, and we will be publishing in April or May. So it's going to be very, very exciting. And that's something to look forward to. So until the next time, stay safe, wear a mask, socially distance, and have a bit of crack. <laughs>